Hey everyone, it's Phil. I'm the dad, and I wanted to come on here and let you all know about what we've got going on this October for Halloween. Austin and I love watching Halloween movies. We love doing shows on it. So we filled up this October with the Evil Dead trilogy, which we are kicking off this week, right now, right after I'm done talking. That'll be Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness, and that'll leave us one more week that we need to fill out. So Austin and I narrowed down four choices. We threw them in a poll. It's on my Twitter, at Phil Rude. And we want you all to go and vote on which one you want us to watch for the show. We've got Halloween Kills. We've got Jordan Peele's Us. We've got Train to Busan. And we have the 1960 version of Little Shop of Horrors, the original black and white old comedy. All of these movies are great. We want to talk about any of these movies, we're going to have a really good time and we want to involve all of you. We love that you guys listen. We love that you give us feedback and we want to involve you in this process. So please go to at Phil Rude on Twitter, find the poll that I have pinned right at the top. It'll be up through October 9th and vote on which of those four you want us to have a show about. It's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you weigh in and let's just have a great October watching some great movies and having a good time. Happy Halloween, everybody. Enjoy the Evil Dead trilogy. Did you ever see Us? Us? I... The movie Us by Jordan Peele? I did not, no. Oh. Really? Yeah, I... It was one of those I meant to. Did you not watch it with us? I did not watch Us with us. Hmm. Who'd you watch it with? I don't know. I watched it here. I assumed everyone was here. Anyway. There's like a weird subplot about Hands Across America in that movie. Hmm. And that was a, a kind of a... Is that a movement? A movie? It was, a, it was like a weird stunt in the mid-80s sometime. And the idea was... To have a line of people holding hands that stretched all the way across the United States. So there were people in like every town coordinating. Okay. Uh, you know, their chain of people. Getting people signed up. Getting people shown up. Trying to cover whatever the... distance they were responsible for. And to, at a certain time, everybody reaches up and holds hands and... That per- poor person, uh, the people in Death Valley who just have to. Oh my God, I, I don't know exactly. We keep the chain I don't know where the route went. I don't know how it wound through, but maybe they took a shortcut. I'm sure and it was from like the north coast to the south coast. It does seem like you know, like maybe spanning like the Mississippi River and the getting shortest distance getting around death valley and like there had to be a weird way they had to weave it back and forth to be able to manipulate all of the uh everyone step onto the highway yeah yeah Route i don't know 66. exactly if if it worked i don't even know i don't even remember if it like actually if they actually succeeded in doing it well we have to figure this out i do think it would have been cool if i would have gone to it and when they said, all right, everyone hold his hands. And then I would just let go and go, oh, I broke oh. the chain. And, uh, you know, and then, and Am- then you America just all the states like 
separate. Everybody, it just floats out into the ocean and disperses. That's uh, our second civil war. I could have saved America. We could be a series of island nations right now. Uh, easily governed. Easily uh, uh, sure. a, a better utopian society. Small enough to uh, take care of each other and be community minded. When is your uh, young adult dystopian, uh, dystopian uh, novel Actually, that'd be a utopian out. novel if you want my honest opinion. Okay, all yeah. right. Um, yeah, well, maybe that, maybe that is the next thing, or maybe I'll run for office and that will be my platform. Let's do it. Hands across America to destroy America. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Fox news, the real liberal agenda. I'm bringing it out here. First we come for the pandas. <laughs> now we're coming for America. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I'm the dad and I'm back in the driver's seat where I belong. That's right. I've been tossed back into the passenger sidecar. Uh, Quiet, Chewy. <laughs> and I'm not Chewy. I'm Austin Rude. I'm the son on this show where each week we watch a movie and then we talk about it. That's right. Uh, if anybody is an astute listener and is paying attention, Austin is taking the lead on the episodes for uh, the movies that he picks out, which includes the entire trilogy that we just covered. And the movies that I pick, I'm taking the lead on. We're trying to switch roles and, and uh, everybody gets to drive their episode a That's little right. bit. That's right. We're breaking up the dictatorship here. That's right. Yeah. we're A.K.A. Austin has stopped being lazy. And... <laughs> no, that's not true. Austin, you've, you've done the show notes on your episodes for most of last season. You're taking a little more of a... Uh, I don't want to call it assertive. I don't want to... You're, you're just being a little more proactive in... The more you're learning, the more active you are in the production of sure the show. I'm, I'm i'm learning more about um, pre and post production yeah which i think is is really i think that's really cool i think that's really great that you want to take on more and um not just to take it off of me but that you want to learn i think there's right well you know someone has to kind of step up and uh you know, once this show gets really big, then I'm going to have to... You want to be able to fire me and get a better co-host. Right. And yeah, you're like, oh, Dad, you know, you've done a good job bringing the show this far, but... Uh, it's it's Planet of the Apes. Each season, each movie, I'm going to slowly take over the planet more and more. Yeah, I'm a little bit out of touch the older I'm getting. And it's like, oh my God, my dad has got these... Really outdated worldviews. He's I've, getting embarrassing. I've saved some tweets. It, I'm gonna release them at the right time. Matter of time. <laughs> Anonymous sources uh, talk about the time that uh, Phil said pandas should die. Oh no! Oh, Phil Rude. That was all uh, a big trap that you set for me. So right. I would can't. I would get canceled by the uh, pro panda lobby. I'll I'll log into your Twitter and make a tweet about Norm Macdonald right up. Just <laughs> How dare him. you? How dare you, sir? It was you. You said it. <laughs> that is that is too far. You're fired. <laughs> Welcome to the picture show with Phil and Austin. 
Uh, not Austin Rude. Phil and Logan Rude. There. I slept on my own joke. Anyway, um, what have you been up to this week? What have you been watching? Reading? Consuming? Uh, it's all about consuming. Um, I watched... What did I watch? I watched Free Guy. Oh, Free Guy. That's right. Uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Pretty cool. I've heard good things. Uh, despite yeah. the fact that I have no interest in that movie at all, I have heard uh, some pretty positive stuff. It's it's basically a mashup of Truman Show and the Lego movie. Lego movie is something I have heard comparisons to, yeah. um, which I am a fan of the Lego movie. So that, you know, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's kind of cheesy, but like. Like, it's got, like, a romance subplot. Right. That, but, like, of course it does. Um, and so it just, it kind of works out. Um, and yeah, Taika Waititi's good in it. Uh, oh, is he in it? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, the villain. Did he write it, or is he involved in, like, the production in any way, or was he, is he just an actor in it? I think he's just an actor, but yeah, don't cool. quote me on that. I, uh, I don't want to go, like, deep spoilers, but... Um, you say cheesy and I've heard that a lot, like we talked about last week with like, uh, people gravitating towards things like Bob Ross and Ted Lasso because there is this sort of positivity around it. I've heard that free guy at its heart has a very like positive message about like, uh, people wanting to take their online content back from trolls and things like that and, and make it a more positive experience. Is that... Does it play off as cheesy because we're so, like, jaded with so much, uh, or or we're just so used to it that it stands out? Or is it kind of executed cheesy? Or if, am I just hearing, and this is, I've not seen the movie, I'm just telling you what I've heard, and I'm very interested in this phenomenon of positivity being, like, this novelty thing, but people are piling on it because we're so starved for it. Right. Uh, no, I wouldn't... I know what you're talking about. There's a subplot with, um, basically, there's this GTA-style game. Right. Right. Uh, but the coding for it was created by, like, these two indie video game creators. Right. Who sold the idea, and then the creator of this video game said, oh, he got rid of that and started this new thing, but he actually just built it around the existing programming. Right. Okay. Um, and so it's basically them trying to get the rights trying to, to their take, game back. Trying to take their game back. Right. And yeah. that, I thought, was like a really good metaphor for taking back your content, right. fighting like big monopolies. Uh, but like the cheesy part comes with like, those two indie game creators they have like this uh longing romance for each other but n neither of them will say anything and right it's, it's, it's a little, little tropey kind of thing right yeah it's just an added little thing and i'm like i still would have left the theater happy if you didn't have that sure you did enjoy the movie though overall yeah it was a fun movie cool yeah it was a homage to pop culture in a way that isn't like Ready, Ready Player, Player One. One. It, it isn't <laughs> like that. So good, it was good. Good. That's cool. Ryan Reynolds doing his Ryan Reynolds thing. Yeah. 
No Deadpool references, though. Well, if you reference Deadpool, you have to reference that he's in Deadpool. Hmm. Right. How do you do that? Mm. They'd find a way. Yeah. There's a lightsaber in it. They they use some Marvel, uh, some Disney properties. Right. But when you have the actor from The Thing, it's hard to use him in The Thing without acknowledging The Thing. And that, hey, you look exactly like the actor from Deadpool. Eh, it's meta. Deadpool sure. is meta. Fair. Fair. They could have. Anyway, uh, when I'm not rewriting a movie for no reason, uh, <laughs> what have you been up to this week? Um, not a whole lot. I have been, uh, wrapping up some, some, uh, for hire artwork. I've been getting a little more writing done. Have not really consumed a whole lot. I started rereading The Shining. Um, it's gonna be my Halloween read this year. I see. Um, Better start it early since that's a big book, right? It's not, it's, by Stephen King standards, no. It's actually, uh, uh, pretty modest. I think it's like 600 pages, something like that. Oh, that's nothing. For Stephen King? Yeah, I mean. I know he's long It was, I think, his third novel, so he still kind of had an editor keeping a reins on. Somewhere in the 80s, they, they took the leash off of him and they're like, go wild, man. And then, like. And he did. Two thousand page novels started dropping from the sky and crushing small children. But um, uh, yeah, that uh, I started a graphic novel. Started reading a graphic novel that I will talk about in our recommendations. And um, I watched a Leonard Skinner documentary on um, Netflix. It's a band, right? It is a band. It's a southern rock band from the 70s. I saw them live 20 plus years ago. Um, uh, they, I, I found it to be pretty interesting because they are essentially exactly what you think like Leonard Skinner is. They're a bunch of like Florida rednecks who put a great rock and roll band together. And... Um, <laughs> It's really, really interesting because they do talk about, like, at a certain point, uh, they became, uh, part of their branding was, like, the rebel flag. They address that in the documentary. Uh, they are, it's actually very interesting. They're like, look, this always meant this to us. It never meant to offend anybody, but now we can see it is offensive to people. And are, this are was, they still alive? Uh, I will say about half of them are still alive. Okay. Um, but the, it, it kind of, the documentary kind of ends with a plane crash that happened in the, uh, late seventies. Yeah. Late seventies. Uh, there was a plane crash that killed, uh, three or four band members. Oh, wow. Um, and kind of, Ended them for a while. I don't know. It's a it's an interesting documentary because these are a bunch of like uh, Florida rednecks. They're rough and tumble. They're drunks. They were uh, druggies. They were they, country boys who were not cultured at all. They're not like the people that are bred to be. But they're a band. They're not basically. right. They're also like not what we think of now when you think of like these white trash, intolerant. 
you know, really like kind of garbage people. When people say redneck now, it kind of almost means something different. You know, they're actually looking at things very clearly and going, oh, we the record label put that rebel flag on everything. And, you know, uh, we kind of regret that now. Uh, they're, they had songs about like gun control and things like that. Like thing, it's really, really wow. interesting um, that I never thought of. Mr. Saturday Night Special is, is a, that's a song about like gun violence. And it's like, holy crap, this is, I had never really paid attention to it, but you look at it and it's like, uh, Ronnie Van Zant was talking about, yeah, I, I hate guns. They, you know, there's all this, uh, violence. I'm so tired of seeing this violence and this is senseless and things like that. So it's a really, it's a really interesting look at a band that I think is interesting. And I think they get written off as this kind of like, uh, they're like the Almond Brothers, but like a poor man's Almond Brothers band. And it's like, well, they're both Southern rock bands, but they're apples and oranges at a certain point. And I think they're both great. So, uh, it's nothing deep. It's not like a, it's kind of just a, a pop culture documentary. But if you're a fan of classic rock, uh, I'd say give it a, give it a look. Um, I like music documentaries and band documentaries. So it's, and I've listened to Skinner for a long time. So it's pretty cool. Music is one of those things where I'm, I don't stay up to date with like bands a lot. Like, you don't have to be up to date with Leonard Skinner. They're like a 50-year-old band. Well, right. <laughs> but yeah. No, I know. But, but I'm saying like documentaries like that. That's how I kind of get my information about bands cuz like I don't I don't spend the time to research like, oh, who's in this band I like? Sure. Who makes it up? What is their life story? I I had time to do that when I was in like middle school and right. I was like, I, at this point, I don't care. You, you, uh, see, you're, you're at a point now where you're like busy with work and stuff that you're probably just beginning to understand why like older people stop keeping up with music at a certain point. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, and kind of like, there's a lot of new music that I don't know. Uh, but I also hate when people get old and they don't keep up with music, so their response to it is, it's all garbage. And right, it's to sort bash of like, it yeah, you right. don't have to keep up with everything, but just to say that, like, it's all crap and it was all better back when I was a kid is, I, I hate that. It is, like, the laziest answer to music that you just don't understand. Like, right, it's, it's cliche, old people. Come on. For real. You know, like, I didn't know Post Malone. I didn't knock Post Malone. But when I stopped and listened to a little bit of Post Malone, I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then when right. you see like the, I don't know, did you ever see that thing where he was playing, um, it was like a benefit for Texas early in the pandemic uh, to support so. like small businesses in Texas uh, because he's from Austin. Uh, but he sang like, he did this YouTube video as part of that where he was singing like country music. And everyone's like, oh my God, Post Malone singing country. And I checked it out. I'm like, it's really, really good. And I'm like, this guy is surprising. This guy does all kinds of music really well. I've heard Post Malone. I haven't heard about any of this. So that's news to me. Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube. I don't know if it ever got like released as like singles or something. But he did like two or three country songs. Uh, he did a Sturgill Simpson song, I know. Uh, and he did it with uh, Dwight Yoakam's band and... It was really just a really interesting um, 
way. I always like to see uh, an artist step outside of what they normally do and go, yeah, I also love this music. And so I'm going to play some of this uh, just as like right. a tribute to that. I, I like it when artists like step out of yeah. their normal genre. I hate when they do it and people are like, hey, you're not a country guy. Or this guy likes country music. I don't like him anymore. And it's like, dude, musicians love all kinds of music. By and large, I think uh, you'll, if you really talk to or, or look at interviews with them, you'll find like no musician is like, well, I'm a metal guy. So that's all I play and all I listen to. They all listen to everything. Right. This guy's appropriating uh, country <laughs> <Yes>. music. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so wild what people get get upset about. Um, yeah, that project on people, but anyway, uh, now that I'm done being an old man <laughs> screaming about other old, old man, man bullshit, um, the other thing I watched this week is, uh, the kickoff to our second trilogy. Today we are discussing 1981's indie horror cult classic, The Evil Dead. Uh, This movie is about five friends who travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. This stars Bruce Campbell as Ash, Betsy Baker as Linda, Ellen Sandweiss as Cheryl, Richard DeManincore as Scott, and Teresa Tilly as Shelley. This was written and directed by Sam Raimi. This was his first film. And, uh... IMDb also lists 18 people in their credits as fake shimps. And I had to look this up because I have heard the term before, but I wasn't sure what it was. Uh, A fake shimp is when somebody, like a movie is partially finished filming. And then an actor is unavailable to be in a scene for whatever reason. Sometimes... Uh, apparently this originated when Shemp Howard from the Three Stooges died and they needed to fulfill their contract to the studio. They had stand-ins for Shemp and, and they basically shot him from behind. They they worked around it. Okay. And that's what this is because apparently... So like body doubles. Yes. Um, it, it, not Not a stunt double, but essentially a body double or a stand-in actor... That they kind of try to hide, uh, you know, the face or try to hide that it's not the original actor. Um, Apparently, this film ran into uh, several delays, mostly budget related. And so the cast was either unavailable or abandoned the project or moved on or refused to come back, whatever the the reason is. Right. Um, So they used... You know, whoever was available. Uh, Sam Raimi's brothers, I think, are stand-ins. Uh, I don't have them. I don't have it all opened up, but... It's really interesting. It, it really is. And I think it speaks so much to the independent uh, nature of this movie. This movie looks super cheap. <laughs> this movie is very clearly not studio-backed. This was an independent venture. That is not to say it looks bad. It just looks cheap. So you right. can understand how uh, how this probably stalled out a few times and how people who were working on it probably weren't getting paid or weren't getting paid a lot 
or thought they weren't going to be paid at the end of it. They're like, this thing is never even going to come out. You know, a lot of crew walked off this movie. So it, it is very much an independent film um, in that it's kind of patched together. I mean, there's five characters in this movie. And uh, six, if you count the demon voices, which is Sam Raimi. Uh, really? Doing the, the demon oh, voices. Wow. Um, but yeah, there's only five people in this movie. There's over three times that many stand-ins for those five people. I granted with, with a movie like this, you could just put that zombie demon face on like anyone. And like, I would have not been able to tell the difference if there was oh, a completely different. For sure. The amount of makeup in the last third of this movie is, <laughs> I think probably made it easy. I I was watching this again yesterday um, and just kind of scrubbed through. I didn't watch the whole thing, but at certain points I was looking, it was after I had done research on like, so you're kind of looking for, the I was troubles. looking to see if I could spot the fake Shemps. And when you get to the third act and everybody's like under makeup, you know, like got a mask on and it's like, Oh, like clearly that could be anyone. There's shots. There's so many like POV shots in this movie. Where you see, like, um, one of the women, I don't remember which one, but when they're, like, hitting her with an axe, and she's she's got her hands up, and that's what you see is her hands. It's like, that could be anybody's hands. Like So so you think those POV shots that are throughout the movie are there to hide the the fake shims? Uh, shemps. Shemps. Um... I don't, I don't know that all of them are, because I think this movie does have a very clear like style to it. And I think a lot of that POV stuff is Sam Raimi's style in this movie. Right. That's, that's what I was thinking is that like, this is, but I think it worked out kind of luckily for him that he was probably able to conceal a lot in some, in some of those shots. You know what I mean? Right. I'm, I mean, you get more, kind of leniency when there's yeah when it's not like this clean cut uh kind of filming style and there's a couple other shots where uh, there's not um makeup where i think um the one, there's a shot where i think scott the other guy not bruce campbell um was like uh, what is he doing? When he's like injured, he has like an axe, and he's like trying to beat the the Cheryl. I think her her name is the first girl who they locked in the basement. Yeah, he's backing her away with like the blunt. What? Yeah, uh, and I think that's a fake champ. I think that's a different actor. Um, and it's okay. It's kind of like he's not behind anything, but it's moving so fast, and it's a little bit out of focus. It's like. I can kind of see that the hair looks a little different. I'm like, I can kind of see that possibly being a different actor. Um, it looks kind of slightly different in the same way. If you ever see, um, <laughs> if you've ever seen Terminator Two, uh, there, I remember there's one shot in there where the Arnold takes a motorcycle like off a jump. Yeah. And and it's a slow motion shot, and in that shot you can clearly see that it's Arnold's stunt double. He looks a oh. lot like him, but it's focused on him enough that you can very 
in within just watching that shot without even freezing the frame you can very clearly see that's not arnold schwarzenegger that is not his face and uh it's very close and if you're not paying attention you might not catch it but if you are paying attention it's very clear to see and this is i think much better than that because it's not slow motion and it's not he's moving around a lot and it just it is one of those things it's like that could definitely be a double yeah you you said um that this was like it looked very clearly to be an indie production i don't know my first thought when i saw this movie was just oh this is like an old kind of movie it, well like uh, that too yeah like because uh there's uh this like dolly shot from behind the car where it's very like shaky mm-hmm. and my first thought when i saw that was like oh if this was a modern day movie they'd have like a very smooth they probably could have done that then too if they had the money but i was just thinking like they didn't have the technology back then the film stock is really bad like the film is it's grainy it's grainy it's ugly but that it's not terribly far off of other low budget movies from the 70s and early 80s you know what i mean like it it gives me blair witch vibes uh kind of but it's about 15 15 to 20 years before blair witch really yeah blair witch is uh i thought blair witch was like 80s no blair witch is late 90s okay um but the the are you talking about the the tracking shot of when they're first arriving at the yeah when they get to the cabin Uh, there's something so great in that shot uh that was accidental and i think just makes it it is so perfect i think is when um they get over the bridge and they're approaching the cabin and there's like this this group of trees that kind of closes in over the car you know yeah and they go through that and when they come out the other side they're dragging a branch on the ground and it just adds so much atmosphere and I know it was accidental. There's no way you would even think to do that. But like the bumper had picked up this branch, this loose branch had probably broke off when the car went through or something. And it just, it adds so much atmosphere to, oh, this is the woods woods. This is the deep woods. This is, right. uh, and it I, just. Well, that shot is very claustrophobic. For sure. It's, uh, and like, you know, knowing what happens after that, you look back at that and you're like. It's the woods closing in on them. It's, it's this ominous kind of uh, it's foreshadowing of the car. Yeah, with but uh, it, I mean, there's no way it was planned. I don't think, and it just because it just sort of drags along for a while, and then it just lets loose, and the car goes on. And I don't know. It's it's just it, that was the first thing that grabbed me about this movie was like that's a brilliant shot that they didn't even mean to do, and I think that's what's so cool about indie filmmaking i think it's just like the happy you know take it to bob ross again the happy accidents well you know we'll keep it in there it works that kind of thing uh sam raimi's car by the way really that car is do you recognize it Mm, should i yes oh boy because it is in almost every sam raimi movie he's never gotten a new car I'm sure he has I, no. several cars <laughs> no. by now, but that's okay. That's so Uncle Ben's car from Spider-Man. Let's see, um, which, by the way, who saw this movie and thought, "Let's give this guy our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man," 
and let's let's see what he'll come up with. Well, um, you have to remember this was uh, 20 years before he would direct Spider-Man. So, but he's a primarily horror director, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. His his roots are in horror anyway. But by the time he did Spider-Man, he had also done uh, Darkman. Which, if you've never seen Darkman, uh, you should totally watch it. I have not. Because that movie is fucking bananas. <laughs> it, is, it is Liam Neeson uh, as a burn victim who wears synthetic faces and imitates gangsters oh my to God. kill them. And it is surreal, and it is weird, and it is uh, kind of off its rocker sometimes. It is... I saw that movie before I had any idea who Sam Raimi was. And then I watch it knowing who Sam Raimi was years later. And I'm like, oh, this makes so much more sense because I understand this director's sensibility now. He he kind of is off his rocker. He kind of does these weird, surreal movies. And if that's what you want to bring to a Spider-Man movie, um, then it kind of makes sense. And at the be- when Spider-Man came out... Comic book movies were not, like, dark and gritty. They weren't being taken as, like, uh, I don't want to say they weren't for adults, but they were not necessarily taken as seriously. It was kind of experimental at at the time that Spider-Man came out. Well, that's what I'm saying is, like, Sam Raimi does not seem like he makes kids movies and really those spider-man movies don't seem like kids movies no i wouldn't say they're kids movies i would call them all ages movies um there's a weird like dark tone to them though yeah not not like there's no like gore but like i'm i don't know there's something about it like just gritty which you could also uh say is if that's what you wanted to bring to your movie, wouldn't you look at, like, a fun horror guy? I'm not talking about, yeah. hey, let's get Wes Craven to do this. But, hey, let, here's a guy who does horror and fantasy. You're going to find, like, throughout this trilogy that he has a wide berth of mixing comedy, horror, fantasy, and... um by that time also he had he uh Sam Raimi's production company had made Xena Warrior Princess which you say what you want to about that show being cheesy UPN action stuff but that show was really really popular that show was groundbreaking in a lot of ways i mean people talk today about like there's no female heroes it's like Xena Warrior Princess was a huge show at the time that was a huge female warrior TV show and, I, and intellectual property. I didn't even realize Sam Raimi did that. Sam Raimi's production company was behind that, and he was involved in in producing uh, that series. Uh, people in Sam Raimi's camp, I think, worked kind of in and out of that show, and and it's very cool. Uh, it shot, I think, in New Zealand. Um, so uh, yeah, he was involved in that. And if so, if you looked at like. In 2000, when they were putting a, a, or late 90s, when they were putting a Spider-Man team together, you know, and they were looking at, like, who, who do we get for this? It's 
I think it kind of makes sense that if Sam Raimi's name comes up and you go, well, what's he done? He's done kind of superhero stuff. He's done kind of action stuff. And he does it with a balance of comedy. The comedy is not so much in this movie that we're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, I don't see much. But he does it with comedy and this dark edge on it. I can kind of see where it makes a lot of sense to go. This guy will make something that's not warm and fuzzy for kids, but also not inaccessible to kids. You know what I mean? Right. I um, I guess, I don't know. This is the fourth Sam Raimi movie I've ever seen. Oh, what the else fir- have you the seen? The first Spider-Man. Oh, oh, the Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. I, so this is my first step out of his Spider-Man. And I'm like, what? You like, ever see um, Drag Me to Hell? No. Wait, is that the... Maybe I have. The, there's like a gypsy curse on this uh, woman and she's trying to she's trying to get get it removed uh, and going to all these it gets it just winds up and up and up and up. I uh, think I have seen that. He yeah. did that like like part of that after uh, the Spider-Man trilogy and it was really hailed as this big thing because it was like Sam Raimi returning to his horror roots. Going back to uh, but what he's good at. Yes. Well, what he started and what I think a lot of his hardcore fans just know him as this horror guy. And it was like, it was kind of a return to form for him. And I really, really like that movie. I really like Drag Me to Hell. Um, Okay, so I guess this is my fifth Sam Raimi. Yeah. Okay. But to also speak to the horror thing, uh, Richard Donner made Superman in 1978, I want to say. the classic. The Superman? old Christopher Reeve okay, Superman. Yeah. Uh, before that, he had done a movie called The Omen. Have you ever heard of The Omen? Mm, is that about like the big black dog? Uh, no, that's Cujo. Okay. Uh, the Omen is about basically this child who is the Antichrist. Um, and it's a really disturbing horror movie um, about this cursed child. And how I, I, that kid is creepy as shit, Damien. I um, I don't think, I haven't seen that movie, but I've heard, I read this article about how, like, one of the seasons of American Horror Story, like, is inspired by that movie. Oh, really? Because there's, like, this child demon yeah. who, who's raised by, like, a fan. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's ra- raised by, like, this diplomat's family and... um. Yeah, it's, uh, well, think of, like, Good Omens is sort of, like... The you, Antichrist. Yeah, the the baby that gets mixed up in the diplomat's family and things like that. It's a roundabout kind of uh, way that probably could be seen as a tribute to The Omen. But The Omen's actually a really good movie. It's not that it's hardcore horror, but it is a 70s disturbing movie. And then he went and made Superman, which is maybe the most brightly colored, accessible to kids superhero movie in the history of probably the whole genre. Like, that is through and through a family film um, that is not gritty and dark. Like, it is nothing like today's superhero movies. Yeah, that's true. A a lot of directors (laughs) have like varying range but yeah i just sometimes it surprises me yeah like, for sure 
Like if Taika Waititi just suddenly started doing like these dark, <laughs> like mother or something like, with or... no humor in it at all. Yeah. Yeah. He's never done anything dark and gritty or at all depressing about Nazis or the Holocaust no, or anything like that. No, but I like mean, that. cut the jokes no, out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. Like he does, he is actually, it is actually surprising to think of like, Taika Waititi doing something like Jojo Rabbit that is actually super dark when it when it makes those dark turns right. and super tense and also still very funny in some like there's something I think he's an anomaly that you can't even bring into this conversation because his stamp is so distinct <laughs> and no matter what he does so uh, a, but I would say point. that Sam Raimi is kind of similar I think. What he does, he does with his own fingerprints. But to take it back to the Evil Dead, in 1981, if you had told somebody, hey, you know that indie horror movie that you love that's full of pus and gore and and all kinds of just disgusting shit? That guy's going to direct a brightly colored uh, Spider-Man movie in 20 years. Everyone would have been like, what? What are you even talking about? I I want to show someone the scene where a pencil gets stabbed through a woman's ankle. Oh my god, that hurts then, so much. And then immediately show them Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3 with the black suit doing, doing the, walking doing down the, the sidewalk. <laughs> and tell them they're by the same director. Same director made these. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Over 20 years apart. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm sitting here through this conversation thinking of Spider-Man, the original, uh, the first Spider-Man movie. But yeah, it's the Spider-Man trilogy gets really bad. <laughs> it gets wonky fast. But um, I... yeah, this is the other piece. Uh, his car appears in everything. Uh, Bruce Campbell, the star of this movie, also appears in everything. I think almost everything that... That Sam Raimi, but makes. not always like a major role. Sometimes no, he cameo. He cameos yeah. in the Spider-Man movies. He uh, he has a cameo at the end of Dark Man. I know. Um, I don't know if he appears in Drag Me to Hell or not, but yeah, I mean, he like him and Sam Raimi have this working relationship that goes back to this movie. It's very cool. It is cool, and uh, you know, this movie made Bruce Campbell. Kind of a bigger name, you know, this kind of brought him into the movie star realm because this is his trilogy. Right. Uh, can we talk about some of, like, the faults of this movie? Sure. I, I don't want to be like, here's why I hate Sam Raimi. Uh, do you hate Sam Raimi? I don't. You can say if you do. No, Everybody's I... not to everybody's taste, but I am going to have to ask you to leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. We, we can close... <laughs> You can close this episode out with just 40 minutes of silence. 40 minutes of, uh, well, yeah, you should really watch Dark Man. Yeah, like, that's all right. it is. <laughs> no, uh, I don't hate Sam Raimi, um, but I don't particularly like this movie. I was, that was my next question, and be, I, I don't begrudge you that at all, honestly. Here's, here's the thing, is I, I like the elements of this movie. Mm-hmm. I... I would go as far to say I like each scene of this movie. It's just when it's together. It's rough. I I wrote down that Sam Raimi is great at tension and release. 
He is so good at setting things up and then bam. Agree. But that when you watch it 30 times over, I thought this movie was ending. I thought I was on like the third climax. Yes. When they shoved the girl or when the girl had come back up from uh, the trap door or whatever. Right. Um, and then there was still 40 minutes left in the movie. Yes. With one person who was surviving by himself at this point, basically. And then he serve, he goes through 40 minutes of just trial running after trial yes. after trial. Finally comes running, out victorious. Burning things, yep. running, burning things, firing into the woods. Yes. yes. And then he finally comes out victorious and then is killed in the last second of the movie right. for no reason. Right. Oh, I that ending was just like a big fuck you. It, to the it was audience. a it was cheap. It was a gimmicky rah. It was like the last jump scare. It's like every bit of like tension, every time they built it up and the guys alone, whoever it is, there's a jump scare. There's like these cheap jump scares that come out through the you know, like when the girl after she gets uh trigger warning sexually assaulted by a forest and then she runs back and she's looking for the key to open the cabin and then like ash reaches out and grabs her yeah. and pull, like it's just like the series of jump scares and then they cap it with a big jump scare and what upsets me about that is this movie started out with the forest stalking its prey and I thought it was really clever that it was ending with him defeating the, the forest. Making like, it to... Making it to sunrise. daylight. Yeah. He's going to his car. He's escaping. And then they they start out with the forest stalking again. And I'm like, okay, it's going off to its next prey. This is a nice way to cap off the ending. Right. And then I look away and I hear a scream and it's the credits rolling. And I have to go back and look at what the last thing was. And it... It was just so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of I think problems with the pacing of this movie. Uh because it moves along at this really good clip and this movie's not long. It's right. only like an hour and a half. It moves along really good, but it is about halfway into this movie, it just enters a loop where it repeats itself over and over for the next half hour. And, right. like, the whole third act is just a series of the same thing over and over. And it's really exhausting by, by the end of it. And what what I struggle with is there's no character. There's just no character. Like, none of these people matter. There's no, like, struggle. There's no goal. There's no... Right. It's just chaos there's... for a whole hour. And I also wrote down that... One of my downsides of this is that the actors, I feel like, didn't have chemistry. Like, there are scenes in the beginning where it's like, oh, we're having fun, we're partying in this cabin. But it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. It, like. I think Bruce Campbell is really, um, he's very charismatic. And that's the Bruce Campbell thing. That's what you get with him. And I think he's always had it. Uh but I, I get what you're saying. This is what you get with indie film a lot of times is at the time that independent films are made a lot of times, it, these are just the act, the director's friends. These are a lot of times just sort of like they're not real seasoned actors. I think the dialogue in this movie is super dumb. 
Like yeah. a lot, it doesn't like Ash and I really give it to Bruce Campbell. I think he's good in this movie, but he doesn't have a lot to work with. He's given his toast at dinner and he's like, party down. And they're like, yeah. And it's like, so what is seriously? It's that... really cheesy. It's really just, it's not great dialogue. But, but what gets me is there's one scene, the scene where he gives his girlfriend a like necklace. I love that scene. It's it exactly. And it shows, okay, he can do this. He's he, a prankster a he, little he bit. He can yeah. write these sweet moments and give them character but he just doesn't devote the time to do it to the rest of the movie. And I feel like that would really uplift this movie. I would, you know, care about this character. The, the character surviving. moments, right. Um, like, there's that moment where he he's holding, like, the necklace and like, yeah. kind of preparing himself for the final battle. That's cool. But, like, it just needed more. It I, I get it, because the... That scene aside, you don't really... Well, it, it turns... Uh, Cheryl, the first girl to go into the woods. The first girl that they lock in the cellar. Um, She's Ash's sister. And that that's not apparent. It's not said until, like, way into the movie. Like, and it's then it's just said in passing. It's like... Because the whole time I'm like, wait, why is Ash have to take care of her why is he i mean you just are like oh he's he's taking her into town because you know he's being a good friend or whatever and then it's like you know why is he more protective than anybody else is and then it's like oh it's he's her brother and and it's just like it's said so quickly that you can miss it i didn't pick up on that yeah it's just like a very passive because he's like annoyed with her but also protective of her. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense because they're siblings. Like, but when you don't know they're siblings, you just think it's like bad character writing. Right. And th- and there's no like, there's no moment of, oh God, what are we going to do with this, with my sister now that she's locked? They, right. they don't even do anything. They're just like, okay, well. Well, just lock her in there and. Uh... Nighty night. <laughs> <laughs> get her some essential oils tomorrow and see if uh, yeah it's it's uh it's bizarre and i don't look for like realism of like oh these kids would have it all figured out but there is a i think you're right there is a big lack of like character development and i think part of that comes from having five five people you know what I mean? Like it's there's five people, but really only like one of them matters or sure. two of them matter. Um, Evil Dead 2, which we're going to give, get to, doesn't have this big group of people. You know what I mean? Five isn't that big, though. It's I not feel that like big, could... but but really Sam Raimi only wrote like one character's worth of character development. And then the right. other three are just absolutely disposable characters from the get-go. Like, there's no reason to have these other three characters there when Ash and Linda are the only ones that really matter. They're the only ones that he devotes any time to. And that's why in Evil Dead 2, they're the only two in the cabin. Sure. Well, it looks like... 
it looks like he wrote that and was like, well, these other characters can't contribute to this storyline. And it's like... Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, but even if they're going to die, they can have their own storyline. They totally could, yeah. You can have the guy that's like a prankster or whatever who was playing the audio and freaking people out. Like, you could have him be uh, the guy in Planet of the Apes 2 who's a complete asshole (laughs) and then just gets his shit wrecked. That is kind of who that guy is. (laughs) You know, like uh, Steve. Is that it? Maybe. Scott. Scott, okay. Um, God, that guy, that guy's awful. But yeah, the whole, um, that, that is the entirety of his character is he's just the dickhead friend that, you know, um, I don't know. There's, there's more to do here. And I feel like if the essence of your story is like these people who are alone and trapped and the environment around them is evil and trying to kill them then, you know, there's a lot there to work with. And I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's... No, no, because I think you're making a really strong point that there there is a lot of potential here that just didn't get tapped. That for whatever reason, um, Sam Raimi... And I'm trying to give Sam Raimi a a lot of uh, forgiveness because this was his first film. Yeah. Um, And also because... Apparently there were budgetary restrictions. Maybe he wanted to make this a two-hour film. Maybe he wrote a lot more scenes that developed these characters out more. But he just... I mean, film is expensive, and there was no digital at the time. Making a movie in in the late 70s on your own was a very expensive venture. You know what I mean? Like, just buying film stock was crazy expensive. So, I mean, there are a number of reasons that corners could have been cut on this movie on top of the fact that he was still kind of a green filmmaker you know he wasn't quite who he would be later well it's basically a film project is what it feels kind of like this is a concept so that he can test out these film techniques like there's a lot of really cool shots in here um like, I even made note of when they're first going down into the basement, uh, there's this shot of, like, we're going between um, the steps and we're yeah. seeing... Oh, yeah, that's a great shot. There's a lot of really good shots. There, there, There is, I will, uh, and I did have that in our... Um... In our show doc, I think I think the shots are super interesting. There's a lot of POV shots and reverse POV shots. There's a lot of really tight on the face shots, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of great tracking shots, and um, it and it all works to give the audience emotion, to give them tension, for to sure. Make them feel things. I think that is really the the strongest part of this movie is the cinematography of it, um, and I think that helps with uh, a lot of the practical effects cheesy as they are cheap as some of them are when uh cheryl is coming up out of the um the cellar at one point like the shot of it it's clearly like a doll it's like not even a person in makeup like it is it is just like a dummy that has 
a ton of zombie makeup just caked on the face. At every time you point stuff out like that, I'm just like, I didn't notice any of that. Yeah, like, well, but I, that, that's the thing. I was fooled. It's shot really well with a quick cut so that if you either don't notice it or you notice it and you forgive it right away. You have to understand like that what a lot of uh, indie movies are. You got to go in just forgiving that they're cheap. That they look cheap. You got to go in and go, give me something well-written that has a good concept behind it that I can buy into. My cousin, uh, Ben, made his first movie and he calls it, he says straight up, this is a micro-budget horror movie uh, called Don't Run. And that movie, he paid for it himself. Absolutely himself. We're going to see a movie later on this season, El Mariachi that Robert Rodriguez made on his credit cards. Like, right. these things are cheap, and they look cheap, and you can laugh at them for being cheap. But they also all give you this concept that you can buy into, and you know in the back of your head, they're working with really small budgets here. I'm going to forgive what doesn't look real. Right, that, that one second of zombie doll... Yeah. They had to buy a doll for that. They, like, right. They had to... Right. There's this whole thing. And they, I think they, they reuse pay. it in a few other shots where it's like... Well, they better. Yeah. They like, have it. Yeah. They get the most out of everything yeah. in this movie. Um, and I think that's super impressive. Uh, I believe Sam Raimi had worked as a magician uh, before he was a filmmaker. Um, and I think that, so he was able to possess tree branches and get them to move around in, but I, I do think that helped him make practical effects that he understood how to do some of these things and more importantly, how to present it to an audience so that it, it looked real so that it hid Mm -hmm. the fake part. You know what I mean? I, I think, I think that really worked in his favor. I think talking about practical effects, one of the most, like, jaw-dropping scenes was when he burns the book. Yeah. Um, And all of the zombies, they fall down and they, like, burn. Their flesh burns yeah. off. They turn into cockroaches. They turn into this, like, moldy sludge yeah. that then it's so gross. turns a different color. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, when they step outside of the house in... Uh, Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, and they start aging. Yeah, like and yeah. they see that that weird world with the with the sandworms. Sand yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it reminds me of those kind of special effects where it's like this surreal, colorful for sure experience that like feeds off of like what do people not like? They don't like bugs. They don't like body horror. Yeah, yeah. It's they combine all this stuff into this thing that's surreal. Like, it's something that would never happen, but it draws on things that do happen and make us afraid to make this thing scary. For sure. It's off-putting. It makes you feel gross. Yeah. Even though you know it doesn't have... You just... I mean... And I think the thing with body horror, or the thing with me anyway, I don't like body horror. I enjoy uh, some movies like The Fly, movies that have... Body horror. Uh, what's sure. that guy's name? Um, Cronenberg does a lot of body horror stuff. And I enjoy some of those movies, but I'm also very, very disturbed by those movies. 
because anytime I see something happen to somebody's body, I I feel the phantom. Oh, yeah. part of it. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Um, like like when a limb bends the way it's not oh, supposed God. to. Oh uh, God, the worst. But uh, the other part that I think is super off-putting and super effective in this movie is when, like, there, like the whole house is possessed, and like the the film projector comes on, and like the light bulb starts filling up with blood, and it's yeah. like projecting blood, like uh, this red light on everything, and it is like that is such effective horror on a budget to just. Turn all this shit on and off. A bunch of weird noise. Uh, which is better than some of the other, like, weird noises in this. Like, some of this shit is just, like, annoying. Well, like, this movie yeah. is a lot of screaming. There's, yeah. like, five minutes of a woman screaming yes. straight, like, multiple times. It's it's a lot. And um, the, when Linda gets, like, possessed, Ash's girlfriend gets yeah. possessed, and she's like, hee hee. She does that for like 10 minutes straight. And it's like, I just want, go bury her, Ash, or I'm going to. <laughs> like, I am so annoyed Please. by this. <laughs> but, um, uh, but like seeing her like that, like the makeup effects, I think are really good. And just the idea that that is, that plays on like the exorcist thing of like, oh, Linda's like a little girl possessed by a demon now. Um, and the exorcist, still just terrifies the shit out of me yeah there's a lot of like female like witches like there's this weird i don't know how to explain that is weird all the all the women get possessed and all the men just get like die just get yeah that's really strange I, i wonder if there's like a witch connection that i didn't pick up on until just now i don't know i hmm Gives me weird vibes. Cancel though. Sam Raimi. Uh, he's a misogynist. I'm, I'm not trying to cancel him. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not either. I'm just saying, like, that's a really weird aspect of this movie that I never realized until until just now. It, it just seems very male-centric. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Not weird. a bad thing, just not very no. thoughtful on his part. Well, I don't, I don't even know if it was uh, intentional or that's just how it shook out, but yeah. Right. But uh, yeah, this was uh, this was the first time I have uh, sat all the way through this movie. I have seen, I think I had started this movie and shut it off, um, twenty or thirty minutes in, uh, one time before, and maybe I've seen part of it or seen clips of it somewhere. So yeah, I started this movie and shut it off at some point in my life. You not liking this movie, I'm not gonna begrudge you that. I'm not, now that I've seen it, I am, I appreciate this movie for what it is. Right. I don't think I would revisit this movie very often. I think it's an interesting study in making an independent film. Like, sure. but I, I don't find a ton. I think there's, like you said, some great scenes in this movie and I don't want to I don't want to shit talk this movie because I really do appreciate it, but I don't think I would revisit this movie a whole lot. No, I I don't think I'm going to watch it again. And I'm interested because this seems very standalone, but there's two more. So I'm not quite sure what to expect from sequels. 
Uh, Do you want me to tell you? Sure. I. Evil Dead 2 is basically like Stephen King saw Evil Dead and really liked it and uh, invested some money in Sam Raimi basically remaking this. So basically... What, so it's a remake. It's essentially a sequel to this in that it's called Evil Dead 2, but it's really like Evil Dead 2.0. It's him getting some production value behind this movie and kind of remaking it. So so Stephen King saw the potential here. Yeah. That that we're kind of talking we're basically Stephen King. Uh we're we're seeing this potential <laughs> in this movie. And we're... Yeah, yeah, that's really it. And, like, Stephen King, uh, he has a, a poll quote on, like, the poster of this. That, like, this is the most original horror film in years. Or something like that. Something along those lines. Um, He was a big fan of this movie. And I think understood, like, yes, he... This guy put this movie together on this shoestring budget. And he was able to see past that budget and see what this is. This is a bottle movie. A lot like, I think probably at the time, King was probably around the time that he was writing Cujo, which all takes place in one place about being terrorized in this small space. You know, and I don't know if one influenced the other. It's a uh, doctor who has a lot of these episodes. uh, They're called like Base Under Siege. Like a lot of them are just like, oh, we're in a submarine or uh, space station where we can't go without outside of the walls of the set they're called kind of uh thing. a lot of people call them bottle movies they take place in in one space yeah uh 12 angry men would be like a bottle movie it's all in this one room um pretty much all plays are bottle uh, things not all not but me. like they make the production a lot simpler um but it's interesting to to hear someone go like oh evil dead it's so original because now it's such a trope that cabin in the woods was basically a send-up of horror movies and horror movie tropes and it's set in the place that is this well i i was actually gonna bring up cabin in the woods because go for it that movie has homages to this movie like i like there's unless i'm misremembering but i'm pretty sure there's uh that pov shot where they go around the cabin and we see through the windows yeah cabin in the woods has that too right it has that it has them going into the basement and finding a book that they read from that wakes demons up it has a girl getting assaulted in the middle of the woods cabin in the woods is a collection of horror movie tropes and this is kind of the central point of that is of what that movie is sending up. Uh, I say sending up, but I feel like cabin in the woods is an homage and kind of like a love letter to these things that are now tropes. Yeah. You know, it's less like scary movie. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Um, I love cabin in the woods, by the way. I think, I think that's a great, Great sort of meta commentary on horror movies. It is, and it's got a uh, baby Chris Evans. Uh, right? No, is that um, the wrong Chris. Chris Hemsworth. Is that it? Thor? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
And he's not a baby in there. He is basically no, a 35-year-old yeah. college student. Hey, um, he's a baby. Uh, but uh, no, I love that movie. Brad uh, Bradley Whitford from uh, Get Out is in that movie. Yeah. Uh, Richard Jenkins, who I love. That guy from, uh, he plays the neighbor in um, Shape of Water. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the he, gay one. Yeah, they're, they're the two like control room guys in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, that's right. The, the ones watching everything. <laughs> they're, they're the best. I love them in that movie. Um, yeah. Ah, Cabin in the Woods is great. Um, but I think I think that without this movie, there's no Cabin in the Woods. I think there's, there's right. none of this, that stuff. This movie is a good blueprint. It's just not fun to watch. I it's, And that's a shame. Like, I would love... I'm going to rewatch some of these scenes. Uh, I actually had to before recording this because i forgot the order in which and the things horrific happen. things happen <laughs> yes. uh but yeah i i want to rewatch parts of it it's just all together man it is exhausting it, it it is um i have uh the thing i wrote down in this um as i was watching it and then doing the show doc is this is our rated scooby-doo this is the group of kids college kids going off and finding a haunted house somewhere Right. Uh, but to that note, I think this, and I understand Scooby-Doo is incredibly formulaic and incredibly dated. Scooby-Doo is also like a huge thing to me when I was a kid. So yeah. this is R-rated Scooby-Doo without, but it's not fun the way Scooby-Doo is. You know what I mean? Like it's. Are you saying it should be more fun? I think it could be a lot more fun than it actually is. This movie is fun at parts, but it really, really drags. And this is where I think Evil Dead 2, which I do enjoy a lot, um, this is where Evil Dead 2 trumps it, I think. Okay. I think he is becoming more refined as a filmmaker. He understands Ash as a character a little bit more, and he understands how to have fun within this structure a little bit more. Right. And I... he has more money... To play with. To, to do the things Let's he not pretend to do. that yeah. doesn't help. You know, like... That helps a lot. Um, I feel like you brought up Stephen King, and we've talked about Stephen King before, about how, like, his horror movies are so great, and books, uh, be, because of, like, the horror is effective because he has those really good, genuine, happy parts that distract you, the, that forget right. the, the jokes, the tension breakups. And I feel like there's opportunities in this movie for them. Like the party where he toasts if he hadn't said anything really weird. Party down! Party down. <laughs> or like, I don't know, like in the car where they're driving off, like you could make a gag in there somewhere yeah. or something. There's opportunities. There is. And I think there are points in there uh my favorite probably my favorite scene uh is when um i think linda is guessing the playing cards and she's oh, getting and them all, all wrong. wrong yeah um which i think ghostbusters stole by the way oh having seen that um but then uh cheryl starts guessing them right starts and and slowly her voice i love that scene that scene is so good at just slowly amping up tension and you're going like wait what did they i thought at first i'm like they're 
did they ADR this and just put random playing cards without realizing they could see, you know, because like indie film like makes mistakes like that all the time. And then you're just like, oh no, the other girl's messing with her. And then Cheryl starts like calling them out and oh my God, is that creepy. Face changes and everything. It's so effective and so fun. Like I want more of that. Like I want more of that kind of fun throughout this movie. Right, but that kind of turned into just the amping up to to the gore going one hundred yes. for forty minutes straight. Right, that's right. Um, that's that's the beginning of the end, and you think that fun is going to carry throughout, and it just kind of runs out of gas about halfway through that run for me. Yeah, for me, I I think I would ultimately say I'm not going to watch this again. But, like, us talking about the pros has made me more excited to watch the sequel, the remake, the... Yeah, whatever we want to... I don't let, know how to label it. Let's polish this yes. up. Let's see And I've not seen Evil there. Dead 2 in a while. I may be remembering it a little bit wrong. But it is... I do know at its heart, it is essentially a redo of this movie. And I, I really hope you go in with an open mind and don't let you know, this one make a chore out of it and and that we can kind of make a fresh approach to this. Yeah. Um, because what, yeah, I, we keep saying it, whatever the drawbacks of this movie, it's hard as in the right place, I think. But it's just not very much fun. It's, as far as like first movies go, I think it's incredible. For sure. For sure. I, I um, I'm trying to think of, other indie filmmakers who had such a strong, you know, first outing. Yeah. And I would say like Kevin Smith made clerks. I, I'm a, I'm kind of a naysayer in that. I think a lot of Kevin Smith's work, it's not that it doesn't age. Well, I think you grow out of it. I think it's, I think it's aimed at a very specific age. And once you're no longer that age, it's kind of not relevant to you anymore. It loses you, yeah. I, it kind of, yeah, a little bit. But Clerks, honestly, for for that that came out, I was a perfect age for it, and and it's a really competently made movie for a guy who sold his comic book collection to make it, you yeah. know, to pay for it. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, like we talked about, and like we're gonna talk about down the road. Great. Uh, the '90s was really a, a big time for indie film. It's kind of an indie film boom, um, and those are two big standouts. And then they broke into the mainstream. Well, there. well, isn't that you were just talking about film being expensive? Isn't that like when digital cameras were becoming more available? Um, probably and... more available, but I think in the '90s people were still shooting on film a lot. I think okay. I think they were probably coming on the market, but it was probably so expensive that it was probably harder right. to I, get a hold of than than film stock i was just thinking maybe it's like an accessibility thing that i think it's to be- a boom i think it's become a lot more accessible you know but people are shooting movies on iphones now like right. full-on movies and you know when your phone camera has gotten to be like cinema quality like that's pretty impressive it makes it really accessible for a lot of people then again the phone's a thousand dollars but <laughs> You know, that's a lot cheaper than a $100,000 movie camera. I mean, you were able to get a hold of an actual digital film camera to 
to do an indie film project when you were in high school. I was. Only, you know? only because my theater director was... He had his own yeah. kind of production company. But that's but what yeah, I'm saying. Like, like, they are accessible to people. Like, right. you... If you know... The chances are you know somebody who can get you a rental, get you, you know... There are more options. If you, if you, if I think of almost anyone in America asks around, they can find somebody with a camera. Eventually, yeah. yeah. Um, A friend of a friend of a friend even, you know, but like, yeah, they are accessible to regular people, essentially. They're expensive still, but you could theoretically get a hold of one and make a film if you wanted. Yeah. And I think more people do that. More people make like short films or, uh, commercials people are able i i did some work right out of college for a small studio that shot infomercials for local businesses and things like that right um you know like it's it's attainable uh but then you know roll the roll the calendar back 40 years now yeah this movie's 40 years old you know it was a big deal to get a movie made as 18 fake shimps will attest. So, <laughs> um, make it all worth, worth the effort. Yeah. I, th- I think, uh, I think this movie is impressive. Uh, just maybe not a ton of fun. That's, uh, I think that's where we're coming out on this. The, the headline should be as impressive as it is gross. <laughs> there you go. That should be the poll quote for this film. Ooh. But, uh, evil dead, I would say if you are into indie film and and process and production, check it out because the process is visible here. I, like you can kind of see how they did yeah. certain things, I, and it's interesting. I want to know if there's behind the scenes or if there's like documentaries about the making because this it really is a testament to it. I will recommend what. Hammond Chamberlain uh, recommended to me. We shot him out on the show all the time. Jane Hammond, Steve, thank you. Uh, I told him we were watching these uh, because Army of Darkness is his favorite movie. Uh, And he recommended watching these with the director's commentary on. I'm sure there are documentaries or some behind-the-scenes footage or something that you can find on these, but I'll bet they talk about it a lot in the... uh, the commentary. Sure. I watch these on HBO and I have digital copies of them. I don't have them with commentary. But if you do own the DVDs or something, that is a recommendation that's coming through us is turn the commentary on and watch. I th- I think that's always interesting. I think hear. I think I think a lot of times it really is. It's really it if, can be if really it's fun. It's not too pretentious. Oh, well, I was lighting it this way. I would imagine that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell talking about these movies is really fun cuz they're both pretty interesting guys who I think like to have a lot of fun with these kind of projects. Yeah. Them just goofing off. Yeah. Um, but that's where I think we'll leave this one and we will pick it up next week with Evil Dead 2. All right. Sound good? I'm ready for it. Thanks for thanks for sitting through this uh, at, with an open <laughs> mind, Oz. I know it was kind of a chore for you, but I'm glad you got something we, out of it. We both made it out alive, unlike, unlike everyone in this, in this movie. movie. <laughs> we are Sam Raimi's car. We are the lone survivors of this movie. That's right. Let's move along to shout outs. What do you got this week, Oz? 
Uh, this week for my shout out, it's a music suggestion. Uh, Little Nas X just released an album called Montero. Okay. Uh, that is his name. Uh, cause it's a reference to the movie Call Me By Your Name, where you call your lover by your name. So he's calling, it's okay. dedicated to someone he's in love with, but he's calling it by his name. It's a whole thing. Uh, I'm recommending it cause okay. it's really good. Uh, and it's actually very groundbreaking cause, um. It's all remixes of Old Town Road. <laughs> that was his old album, Dad. <laughs> No, but he did make like 16 versions of that. Right. Uh, no, Little Nas X is a gay rapper. And that is something that is I'm very, aware. very rare. Um, and there's this thing that's talked about. Um, like the rap world is kind of hard to break into. And there's things like um, Cardi B, she wrote uh, WAP. And right. Lizzo, she writes these provocative songs about um fat people yeah like that that's just what it is is it's like the way of breaking into these spaces is by being provocative getting attention and like living as you truly are and so to see little nas x uh kind of just be himself and he he has very um kind of dirty songs in this but he also has like really sweet ballads and pop songs And he has guest stars, like, he wrote a song with Elton John in here, but then he also has Doja Cat. Oh, they probably met at, like, the gay agenda meetings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of us. One (laughs) of us. Uh, (laughs) But it's just one of those things, uh, and I I found this album, like, something that spoke to me, because it was something I could relate to, uh, and I think that's cool. I think that's cool, too. I mean, that's... Like we we can sit here and shout out music that's popular all day long. If it doesn't speak to you, like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, right? It yeah, no. That you should be shouting out music that you like. And and I don't think this speaks to everyone, but it is an experience. Like it's again breaking into rap music. So it's this thing that's not talked about in rap music, and so it's giving a voice to people in other communities who don't always hear oh being gay is okay oh yeah i was gonna say well like rap music was kind of that and disco music was that before that was giving a voice to uh non-white people uh disco music was uh and i didn't realize this until recently um because i never was like a disco fan i wasn't alive for it but just like in hindsight i was like yeah that's eh, kind of weird music it's not really for growing me growing up post disco but like the uh like the whole like death before disco uh movement and a lot of disco sucks and i'm not gonna say that everybody who was opposed to disco and you know carried that banner was this way but that disco uh like culture for lack of a better word was Essentially, like, because that was a space for a lot of uh, queer people, a lot of gay people in the 70s, um, that a lot of the hatred for disco was rooted in hatred for gay people. Right. Um, and I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was like, oh, it's because it's kind of shitty dance music and, and ugly clothes that and- that 
that's why people didn't like it because that's what I found kind of off-putting about it. But it's like, it makes a lot of sense that that became a, a racist and a homophobic way to, a way to be racist and homophobic was to denounce disco. And I think that carried through when like, uh, house music and, and hip hop and rap started was a lot of people who just didn't like black people you know, it was no right. coincidence that like there was this big divide between country music and uh, I love country music, you know, and I know not everybody in country music is a racist asshole, but let's call no, it yeah, what it these, is. These a lot of the fan base is, is, you know, not very tolerant of rap music and we all know why they're not very tolerant of rap music. Right. I've, I've heard a lot in recent years about like the hatred of like, um, even like things like jazz uh some people sure. like mock jazz and uh that's rooted in kind of seeing other cultures as lesser well i mean and, and uh, as all of these things have become more diverse um and like you know like there's white jazz musicians and there's white rappers and there's you know and, and it's just sort of like over time it just evolves into that and it's it's more homogenized, but like the roots of all of these things are it. Like jazz was a black, was black music. Yeah, country music was black music essentially. Blues music was and for black sure. Music. And 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 um, it's not like oh, I'm not arguing like appropriation. I think it's a good thing that that black people are coming into country music again. White people are into jazz. White people are are rapping. That this music has become bigger and for everybody. Because it's just more and more acceptance all the way around. And and people are accepting of... People aren't skeptical of white rappers coming in anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Because if you can go and hang in that world, they're like, oh, you know. It's it's creating spaces. Right. Um, but I think, I think that's really interesting. And on the other note, and I did not come up with this because I don't really follow Lil Nas X, but somebody did point out when Old Town Road came out in like Billy Ray Cyrus, there was like a mix with Billy Ray Cyrus on it. Yeah. And that hit like the country chart and like went up. And it's before anybody really understood who Lil Nas X was. And then somebody pointed out like, hey, guess what country music fan base? Oh, boy. The number one song on your chart is written by a gay black man. <laughs> <laughs> shove that up your ass <laughs> it just it's like the kind of the biggest f you to the people uh not i i i, hate, I you know what i'm saying i'm not yes. trying to throw a whole fan base under the bus but the, the vocal you know ones. country music fan base c- clean out your ranks like you know what i mean like uh, more sturgill simpson less uh, whoever that guy is who shouts the N word every time he gets drunk and, and is whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know who I'm talking about? Like I, that I've big heard thing. of it. Yeah. But yeah. with little Nas X, uh, he, he basically like broke into the scene. Like he, he was kind of a one hit wonder. Yeah. And then he just kept making more and more music and then was like, okay, you can't get rid of me. And guess what? I'm gay. Like deal with it. Uh, By the way, if anyone wants a transcript of this conversation, I uh, hit the uh, the dictation thing on my iPad, and it's basically got the entire thing written out here. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Keep let, it going. Let me know if I, if I need to send this to you. Um, but no, uh, good recommendation now that we've talked for 20 minutes on, on that, because 
tangents are what we do. Go for it. Uh, leading into our next tangent, what is your shout out? Uh, mine, I'm going to keep it short here. Uh, it's a graphic novel I got in the mail this week uh, called Canopus. And it is a science fiction kind of uh, trippy uh, graphic novel by artist Dave Chisholm. I pointed him out uh, last season. Uh, speaking of jazz, he did a graphic novel called uh, Chasing the Bird about Charlie Parker. It's brilliant. And I love that one. And this is his new one. He just announced his next one coming out. Uh, I'm not going to shout it out because I can't remember the name of it right now. But uh, yeah, this follows a, a woman. She wakes up. She's in space. Uh, she has no idea how she got there. She's lost her memories. And as she is sort of looking for her way back, she is uncovering more and more memories. I'm about halfway through it right now. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, I You better finish that up because I'm going to steal that right away. I'm going I, to make sure you read it. I you've think said gonna... too many buzzwords that I enjoy. <laughs> Space, science fiction, All right, take tricky. it easy. This isn't, uh, this isn't uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson level of uh, no, I, but, uh, I astronomy in here. But no, it's... Um, yeah, it's got some real vibes of like 2001 to it. Uh, uh, Ad Astra, that yeah. Brad Pitt movie that you and I really liked. Um, so uh, check that out. It just released. I did a pre-order on it a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think it hit comic shops a week ago. And then it like uh, pre-orders through Amazon or Powell's uh, hit this last week. So that's Canopus, uh, C-A-N-O-P-U-S by Dave Chisholm. And... Um, yeah, he's great, and he's a great follow on Instagram and TikTok as well. He does a lot of live drawing, and he's a great jazz musician as well. And sometimes he'll post him playing trumpet or guitar. Uh, really, really cool guy. Uh, check out his work for sure. Sounds like it, yeah. On that note, uh, let me scroll through this conversation that I accidentally uh, recorded. Um Thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility, and it helps us grow the show. That's right. And another way to help us grow is to tell a friend. If they don't want to listen to us, don't take no for an answer. Uh, wow. Break into the their house like you are a tree um, and <laughs> brutally murder them. Uh that got very dark very fast. Um, hey, no means no, Forrest. That's right. Spooky the bear. Super <laughs> messed up super, stuff. Super. Super. Cancel Spooky. Uh, next week's movie, Evil Dead 2. Uh, please join us for that. Uh, if you can, watch along. It's a lot more fun than this one, I promise. Let's hope. Austin, you got some social media you want to shout out? Yes, you can find me on Twitter. I am Austin and Rude, and I am also Old Who Review. And I am PhilRude.com. I'm at PhilRude on Twitter, at PhilRude75 on Instagram. I'm somewhere on TikTok, but I don't really post that much there. Um, you want to read the credits? Yep. We did everything ourselves. Well, there you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya.
Greetings. I am Sav Chagrin, podcast guru and president of the Podfix Network. Since revealing myself as the puppeteer of the Podfix Nation, I have felt the need to be more hands-on with the day-to-day operations. Therefore, every Thursday, I will be opening the Podfix Archives, an absolute museum for your ears, and best of all it is curated by none other than myself, Sav Chagrin, and no one else. I will be blowing the dust off my personally hand-pressed vinyl copies of original airings of classic Podfix Network episodes, uploading them to the satellites, and then, rebroadcasting them to the masses. Sure it's a lot of extra work, but, one thing I have learned over the years, is that digital media converted to vinyl converted back to digital is the way podcasts were meant to be heard. And since I, soft chagrin, have done all the heavy lifting for you, you just need to subscribe today to Podfix Presents wherever the best podcasts in the world are found. And then sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Podfix Network, artist-owned and loved.